I'm staring at the eviction notice. I'm frozen, terrified. I'm thinking about Laura, my little daughter, and my baby who'll be born into homelessness. Today, I can tell you straight up, if it wasn't for Threshold and the people who donate to them, me and my girls would be homeless. Threshold saves nine families every day from homelessness. Please support our At Home for Christmas appeal. Help us stop homelessness before it happens. Visit threshold.ie to make an instant Christmas donation. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by someone who is um, hes a well-known national figure, someone who's very, really has an interesting perspective on things. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation about the broad area of housing, homelessness, mental health, um, the connections, well-being. Delighted to have on Reboot Republic, Dr. Eddie Murphy, clinical psych- psychologist, Eddie, thanks for joining me today. Rory, it's great to be here and uh, appreciate you asking me. And uh, I think um, a couple of things. First of all, I want to commend the work that you're doing and the advocacy. And uh, I think you're in a very important voice in this whole area of um, highlighting the need and, the, and for housing and housing solutions. And I think the fact that you use two words in your opening there around hope and solutions, and I hope somewhere along the line that we too can echo them really powerful but important words and we can get into that. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Great, Eddie. No, I, I'm glad you picked up on that as well because it is, um, it can be very hard, um, I, you know, to both work in the area, highlight it, and obviously the people living it, um, and, you know, people I know and family and everything who are in situations that vary from, you know, housing insecurity, people facing eviction from landlords who are selling up to, you know, people not being able to buy a home. You know, I've, <laughs> you might have seen it. You know, I've cried on national television over thinking about the future and my kids and where they'll get housing. And, you know, that's not bullshit like that you know these are very real situations that people are living in there's there's actually a lot of and someone actually posted it was actually on lust for life which i know um the the mental health charity that both of us support um that uh, someone wrote a very interesting blog i can't remember their name around the link between housing and mental health and they talked about this kind of constant sense of insecurity um, feeling of dread and and it goes in so many layers from people who are homeless and I want to talk to you about that because because you we and me, me you mean you've you know interacted over this and we've been in touch and we've highlighted and I, I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective on it but maybe to start with maybe you could talk broadly about how does housing affect our mental health yeah, well, and well-being, because I know you maybe yeah. explain that as well, because we, yeah. mental health is seen as in a negative sense, and well-being is something broader. Maybe, yeah, you you go first. Uh, so I suppose there's a couple of things, uh, Rory. That um, like when I think of uh, housing, and uh, uh, I go back to one hundred and one of psychology, actually, which yeah. talks like Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we have yeah. these needs in our life. And it's like a pyramid, and the baseline of the pyramid is for food and water and shelter, 
which yeah. is our housing need. And then it goes up and we move up through the different, uh, you know, we need relationships and friendships and then we get into this space and finally it goes up to self-actualization. Yeah. Um, just that, 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 uh, but, but the primary and the base is this area of uh, having shelter, having yeah. a place to call home. And you see, it, it's so powerful to, to have a, a place all home. home. And if when, when we look in, in psychology now, we're really interested in this whole area of what's called adverse childhood experiences. They're called ACEs. And, um, the, uh, and the, those ACEs can include uh, uh, domestic abuse, uh, 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 physical sexual abuse, but homelessness in itself is an adverse childhood event. And it's really profound, the impact of events that can have on children and young adults and, and uh, in terms of uh, uh, their own socialization, their sleep, their levels of anxiety, mental health. And we'll go into that. But this whole area of um, adverse childhood experiences, that uh, homelessness is in of itself an ad- adverse childhood experience. And there's huge data now emerging about the impact of the adverse childhood experiences on children. Um, And this thing, this need, uh, this human need, and I think if we don't start moving into a direction of housing, this housing security as opposed to insecurity, and where there's a lot of young adults now, and I'm thinking of my own. So in our family makeup, maybe it's helpful to just get help our listeners too. So I have two boys. They're um, they're 13 and 11, and yeah. and, and, my, uh, uh, and in our so one is it just started secondary school. One is in primary school, in fifth class in primary school. And uh, but you know where are their how. When, so in the 80s, so I'm in the 50s now, right? So I've been around yeah. the road a bit. And I grew Still up in the a young 80s. Man, Ireland, Eddie. When, well, there was no work, right, in Ireland. So I emigrated for 12 years. And it was yeah. actually, I grew, I obviously, I grew up in England and uh, did 12 years there and a year in the US. And, um, but there was never a sense that you were locked out of anything, per se. Yeah. You sort of worked and you, I trained originally as a nurse. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, unlike you, as a beautiful academic mind and all the rest of it, I worked really hard and I learned to study. It's a real message of uh, like my, my mind might be academic. I wouldn't <laughs> say it's very beautiful, though. Uh, it's a beautiful mind, Rory. Um, if it, well, I know you have a beautiful heart, I know that. I know we've probably physically met only two, twice or three times, but I know one thing is that you have in, integrity in spades. And I think that's a, that comes from having a beautiful heart. And your values aren't just about yourself. Your values are based on the society that you want to see. And I, too, Absolutely. want to see society for... for, for um, Wouldn't it be amazing uh, if we had a society, an economy that was built around our hearts? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, you know, we uh, part of this is, um, I think, uh, they call it GN gross national happiness right and yeah. the, the the government of bhutan looked at this uh, like the the national the well-being of the nation and you see i think it's actually there's a virtuous this is not just i'm sure if uh, through the economics there's a virtual it's a virtuous cycle that this would be whether it be um uh, creating more sustainable homes and more sustainable work and this is not sort of uh 
uh, hippie stuff based no. on uh, down in Glastonbury or uh, an electric picnic. There's actually good science and economics beside behind this about uh, being local and uh, and some of the groups I'm involved in uh, around. I'm involved in the Lust for Life, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about the the work that I've written a school. B- based well-being mental health program for children in fifth and sixth class and in third and fourth class and that's freely available for all national schools in Ireland and all they yeah. have to do is connect with a lust for life and see so that's the solution focus bit that I'd be sort of interested in yeah, yeah. while my day-to-day work brings me into some of the solid one-to-one piece but it really you know it's also about creating creating or looking at some uh, strategic uh, strategic components, strategic solutions. Um, I, I, I drifted you, took you off your path there, Eddie. Okay. I, I sent you on a different path. All the beautiful of podcasting, to call it, isn't it? It is absolutely the beauty of it. And and I probably just wanted to express um, the connection and that was it. And I just couldn't hold it back anymore. So I just had to, to go for it and say the values connect. And um, because often there is an energy and, and a, I think a, a desire and an openness and I love that's why I love psychology and I love talking to psychologists and because they see things beyond the economic unit, beyond the utilitarian, you know, profit maximizing. And they see people as full human beings in all their different parts and their complexities and their challenges. And that's why I actually love. And I think that psychology has so much to tell us but how we could run our society for human beings as opposed to economic units. You see, it's a grey. I, I sometimes liken it to the grey. Like in, we like the sort of by, but the, you know, the, the answers, the black and white or mm. this, the really clear sort of answers. And, and one of the things we've learned more around this pandemic more than anything is like, this is really grey stuff that we're really living in the, in the grey and how you navigate uncertainty is really, really powerful. And uh, how, how is the society we're even navigating uncertainty? And uh, but this this that brings up the whole area, too, of ho- how homelessness creates a really powerful uncertainty for people. Yeah. And if you're in a space like even just think about it. Right. So first of all, we know that. So homeless children experience a large amount of social isolation from their peers. Like yeah. that's a, um, particularly if a child is in secondary school, it's the, there's you know a lack of often the different levels of access and the school uniform and um, so this whole area of being being almost marked as different, as it were. Yeah. And if you're like that, that can be very stigmatizing and. For, for an individual. Now, you see, it's really important, Rory, that I often think that children, I, I also like to highlight their resilience and bounceability. And, yeah. uh, and, and actually, I do get frustrated sometimes with the sort of one directional nature that this is going to be forever, ever harmful and stuff like that. Yeah. And while I can highlight the evidence which show levels of harm to children around social isolation and um, sleep and anxiety, also, like it's important to note that children are really massively um, uh, resilient, and uh, and and there's a lot of children who are adults now who faced adversity, and yeah. uh, there's a really really good report done called the Savvy Report, and uh, and that looked at the impact of sexual abuse on on children in Irish society, one of the yeah. biggest studies ever by Professor Hannah McGee in Royal College of Surgeons, and. But the real key message there was the amount of survivorship and 
people and that. So that's important to highlight yeah. too. I wouldn't like to think it's just a unidirectional piece, you know. No, that that is really important. And it's something that I find quite challenging as well around this area, doing advocacy and trying to highlight the impact of the crisis and particularly on children, um, which is that that sense that, you know, that it has an impact. And I want to highlight the impact because I feel people, policymakers and even the public doesn't get or aren't taking in the actual, you know, destructive impact of not just homelessness, but housing insecurity of people living and their families living in in situations of constant stress um, and worry about housing. And, and that, that does have a very real impact. Like, for example, we measure in the monthly homelessness figures um, the amount of families who are in emergency accommodation. But there's at least twice that become homeless every month. They go through a process of losing their home of you know, and then they might find somewhere else, or they go couch surfing. And um, but even the process of losing your home—that is a traumatic event. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, again, because it is core around having this—it's uh, a core need um, uh, to have and lo- losing having that level of insecurity and uncertainty and. And like what we know, even that teachers, and I've been looking at, you know, in preparation, I've done my homework there, lecture, Rory. Mahan Murphy. But, you know, teachers report that children became more anxious towards the end of the day, just before they were um, go, go back to their sort of their insecure quarters, as it were, you know. Yeah. That, um, children in terms of anxiety that there's a large amount of disruption and uncertainty and and it does impact in terms of their uh, sense of place and uh, sense of uh, even having personal objects that are really yeah. important and you know yeah. that children uh, value uh, that's when that when there's a rush to move from one temporary accommodation to another then you know teachers or children can react to that you know what i mean and teachers see this and parents see it and healthcare workers see it as well yeah yeah and and it's something that even when you talked about maslow's hierarchy of needs um because i've looked at that because within maslow's hierarchy i think it's the second or third one there's the sense of belonging is actually that when you move up from um, the the basic needs you can then achieve the sense of belonging to somewhere and that sense of belonging um is quite profound it, it affects us that if we don't have and particularly i imagine as children that and you know that we need that sense of stability in a place that you know because we we are we yearn for security within which we can then develop and grow as as we're supposed to do as children so this brings us to one of the what I would think is one of the critical tenets of human uh, relationship is around yeah. att- attachment. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so there are different styles of attachment. But if you think about it now, um, uh, when it, when people uh, are attached, uh, so there's secure attachment, and uh, over the first two to three years of a child adult's life. There's engagement in, with the primary caregiver, and you form a secure attachment, and yeah. um, that's so powerful. And then, uh, then you can have an insecure attachment where there's a, and what we know looking at it, um, the level of attachment that a child has, it can impact in the relationships in adulthood 
adulthood. Yeah. It's actually predictive of relationships in ad- adulthood. Yeah. So you can have a, a insecure attachment or uh, you can have very disruptive attachment in certain circumstances as well. And so, so if you think about just homelessness or housing instability, anything that creates parental anxiety, impacts on parental stress, uh, is going to impact on their capacity to connect with with their child, particularly the the sense of uh, of homelessness is again going to impact on that level of attachment. You know, so these are um, I'm probably taking a very bad example, but but these are fractures that can happen at a psychological level that can impact on the individual, but also it impacts on society because of uh the impact of on the, on that individual going forward I was always struck by um the the book I don't know if you've read it the spirit level by by Richard Wilkinson and, and Kate Pickett um and it is a a book about inequality and how um the levels more unequal countries essentially have higher levels of issues of uh, mental disorders, um, of mental illnesses. And their argument is that actually in, in more unequal countries, there's issues of status inequalities. And I kind of think about this, that in many ways, homelessness and housing insecurity affects all of us in society because we don't, you know, we all feel what's going on at some level. You know, I haven't read that book, but just just go through the, the treaties again, what, what it's saying. So it's kind of this idea that we're all like when we, we see homeless people on the street, mm. you know, that affects us. Most people, it affects, you know, emotionally on some level. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel good about society and um, the housing insecurity at some level that's affecting, you know, obviously it's increasingly affecting so many people, young people not being able to see a future that your country as an your overall sense of well-being as a society we're not we're not isolated from each other so it's it's like the idea that where you've major countries with major social problems everybody is affected by it at some level yeah i think that's interesting and, and, and uh, i mean if what you can add very like it depends on how your society is drawn it's not necessarily about the wealth of a, a society it's that is your society driven towards individualism, e.g., like America or whatever, or mm. m- more towards a, a social orientated, such as maybe the Scandi countries. And yeah. then, as a society, like where are policymakers? I know you're very interested in policymaking. Like, where are our policymakers? Are we trying to uh, emulate one, or, or are we trying to, wh- where are we choosing to? I think we're fortunate enough in that. That when in general, like Ireland is a cohesive society, really, yeah. and we have opportunities, like to uh, leave no one behind. I think, and to ensure that we sort of really start looking at what what makes um, a society connect across all the different. Uh, uh, you know, and I think it's a. I think it's a very positive thing, like it, you know, the growth in our population, the diversity in our population, and but we also have to ensure that we, we're we're uh, creating opportunities for for connection, and sometimes that might happen naturalistic in more rural communities. So I'm speaking with a big bog accent from County Leash, and where our our football club are doing really well, and the connects us and stuff like that. But we sometimes need other other 
avenues to connect with uh, individuals, you know, whether it's through social justice um, type of advocacy or through uh, connecting through nature, uh, uh, ecological or nature-based solutions or whatever. But we need to be have lots of different touch points. Yeah, and, and I think housing really connects there because housing offers a potential opportunity in how it's delivered, how it's designed, how it's done, you know, to, to enable community engagement, to enable, like, I, you know, the... And, and I think as well, something for me that's a big concern is the future, is the sense of future for our young people. Like I talk to my son now, he's 17 um, and he's, you know, he's like, I don't know, will I ever own my own home? Will I ever be able to rent one? Will I ever be able to move out of your house? Like there's 350,000 um, youngish people between 18 uh, and mid 30s living at home with, the, with their, their parents in the parental home. Um, there is a generation there who I think potentially, you know, are some of them are already starting to emigrate. The pandemic, I think, has restricted it. But the lack of affordable housing that's available is meaning issues of delayed independence. And again, as a psychologist, I'd be interested to hear your view on it. You know, what, what do you think about that? Are we, in a sense, removing, you know, people's young people's expectations, their desires, their dreams because of actually the lack of their ability to gain independent, affordable homes? Uh, I think that's, look, it's an interesting question, Rory. Like, I mean, uh, uh, at 25, did I want to buy a house? I don't think I did, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so I think, like, you go through different ages and stages in your life. Like, you're sort of, your first stage, maybe up to 25, you're sort of just getting yourself established. The next stage is you're sort of in that early adulthood. But then you might like, you know, whether it's relationship forming and, and children. And it's probably at that phase then that you might start thinking about the housing side of it. I don't think you're going to think about that in the, in the, so I'm not sure does, but I think it does that, it does push people and it delays that maybe independence that you're talking about. But I'm not sure at what age and stage you start realizing that, okay, I might start thinking about getting my own place here now. And then suddenly you realize, well, actually, I'm not sure on t- whether it's two ages or if we have children. We're suddenly being a bit locked out of this. So I'm, I'm, is, is it a, a, an awareness that comes quite rapidly at a certain point in time? Um, yeah, what, what would your what would your thoughts on that be? Well, I, I think it is interesting that 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 you know people aren't necessarily thinking about it. But I am contacted by people you know um, who are saying, for example, um, and it, what's come back to me is the CSO did the, the, the these pandemic uh, living in Ireland. I can't remember exact title, but spot kind of surveys. Um, and what they showed in their survey done recently, a couple of months ago, was that the majority of young people living at home with their parents were only doing so for financial reasons. And that they, while the majority of parents enjoyed having them at home, the majority of young people felt that it was curbing their independence. Um, and what I have people contacting me saying it does impact on their self-esteem. The inability, and you you are probably talking about more people in their mid to late twenties than particularly early thirties, um, who are talking about you know that sense of shame about it, the sense of not being a full adult, um, of not being able to be, you know, stuck in the parents' box room in their mid thirties. Um, the I have had people contact me, for example, uh, who were in the living in the private rental sector, who um were 
not secure private rental sector. So there is a real impact, I think, there in terms of. Um, so there's definitely impact. And what I'd say though is like it's. They, they, I'd always be concerned about global uh, global statements, if that makes yeah. sense. Like there yeah. are definitely, I mean, without uh, you know, without doubt, there are individuals who are living with their adult parents and they don't want it. They they want to get out. They want to be independent and uh, and they want to maybe live in urban areas and uh, you know and uh, and then there are people I know that who are very comfortable living with their adult parents because they can have a more disposable income, et cetera. So they're, like, yeah. it's very hard to actually make glo- global statements. But look, what we do know is there's a chronic housing shortage, isn't there? Yeah. And there's a chronic shortage of affordable uh, rent and there's a chronic inability for very young, newly formed households to set themselves up in an independent way. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, no, no, it's interesting, I think, to, to tease that out in terms of, I, I do feel, and from what young people are contacting me, there is that sense that when we can emigrate, we will emigrate. And, and I feel yeah. that that's not really coming through in the conversation. And in part, it's because COVID, I think. COVID has just taken yeah. over everything. See, Rory, I, uh, no, yeah, I just don't, well, I don't think there's a causal relationship because, I mean, in a mobile society, um, people are going to emigrate. You know and that there's opportunities to emigrate and to to like I was I emigrated for twelve years as I was saying earlier. And it, yeah, to to me it was um, I didn't look even though I could say it was economically there was no choices in Ireland and I emigrated and I, I could have come back at certain times, but I was just having a good time abroad. <laughs> you know, yeah, meaning your life yeah. just takes you up and you're in that different part of your life. Uh, so uh, I don't I know suppose if it's... That, no, I understand absolutely. Mm. Of course, there is, um, yeah. you know, there's lots of people who've emigrated. And I think there's a benefit, you see. I think actually... No, there is, there is I, a benefit. I think I when think... you go abroad and you, you, you often widen your, like, widen your horizons and, and even now I think we're equipping people to go abroad with a more diverse view of the world, uh, mm. uh, more focused on equality. Um, like when I left, um, like I was a very naive person when I left, I would say, yeah. like, you know, whereas the, the 18, 20 year old, 25 year old leaving Ireland now is quite sophisticated uh, to have a lot more world skills. And I would think, no, I, I hear what you're saying there, and I think that that is absolutely true. Um, and you know, my own parents emigrated to Canada, um, and then came back. Um, and I suppose in some ways, I'm probably coloured by the what happened during the crash, and yeah. the the generation that we lost of young people. And probably in my mind, you know, that period was, you know, I lost friends. You know, I say mm. I lost them. They moved. I, my brother moved to Australia. Mm. In part, he didn't come back because of housing. Not the only reason. But mm. they go off, they form. And I feel that loss of the relationship, that loss of the, um, yeah, that loss of that relationship. You know, that brother was one of my best friends. You know? Yeah. And I could see two bits to that. And I think that's a really very fair point. And, um, and it's a bit like my work or maybe and your work okay but if i in my work if i i don't know if would i be able to hold my heart as it were 
if I just if if I was focused on all where the really impact of mental health it would be all the time if that makes sense yeah yeah and if yeah. you were just colored by just doing if you're engaged at, at that cold face all the time doing that then you then sometimes the helicopter view of mm. of well-being mental health and uh, you know mental illness and and the continuum right throughout and if you're just in one focus of that you might go okay well there's other components of that um uh, uh, but saying that I was involved in some of the research there around the impact of that of that uh, housing crisis, and um, where there was a, uh, an increase in levels of suicide, and um, where I did some work with the Irish Margaret Holdies Association. Yeah, uh, David Hall did some research on that and looked at the level of alcohol, uh, levels of depression, anxiety for people that were in mortgage distress. Yeah, and it was incredible. So. At one, so it's a, I suppose I'm just saying on one hand and on the other hand, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to keep that balance really view that uh, that uh, I, I suppose like yourself. That's where you're at the hard end of where you see and people are reaching out around the impact of homelessness and that. And at the other side of that conversation, you're trying to speak to policy based solutions, which I think is. If you didn't have that other side of speaking out and that policy-based solutions, you could just get overwhelmed. I'm sure at times you do get overwhelmed at the other part. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely you do. And and in part, that's probably like I feel, um, and I don't try and, you know, obviously a certain amount you have to shut out, you know, to try and survive because you would get utterly overwhelmed with the human crisis that's going on. And I kind of feel, I think, frustrated that that human crisis isn't talked about enough, that it's, you know, there's, there's, it feels to me, and it's probably then I'm probably to a certain extent trying to overcompensate by pointing out, you know, the extent yeah. of, of a human, what I call. Well, there human. is a human crisis there. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's yeah. be very clear. There is a human crisis there. There is incredible psychological impact around uh, homelessness on adults and children. The homelessness is an ace, an adverse childhood experience in and of itself. The homelessness causes social isolation, anxiety, sleep disturbance, loss of sense of place, impacts on attachment. That uh, if we don't start looking at the broader component of our our society, that we are going to store up um, uh, a potential fractured society going forward of the have and have nots and that that does no society any good um, shutting out parts of society that uh, a society that functions well is cohesive has a connection with each other has a capacity for um, uh, and that's why I think around uh, some of the aspects of Irish society. I think we're in, it, 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 there's a work, a huge amount of work to be done in this area, but also that we're coming from a place to that, like from a values-driven place, I hope that could sort of start re-examining some of this as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And for me, I increasingly in the way I'm trying to communicate the solutions um, and communicate the issue, I'm trying to frame it in that way of, um the values and also the human impacts and because i think in particular if we look at housing um there's a number of things that that i kind of think what you're saying there is absolutely right that i think for example solutions 
obviously there's a lot of talk about you know the built rent the investors and you know we have to wait for the market and and i you got some slagging recently did you i did get a lot of slagging. what was that how is how is that how does are you you must be saying the right things if you're getting if you're threatening people so you keep doing <laughs> well, what you're doing rory Hearn, because you're doing it right believe me well listen i i'll go on and say there is absolutely yet yeah, that there's there's no doubt that very significant um you know, big financial interests feel worried um, about the. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Actually, that's what, what you were talking there about the values flowing, and I feel hope. And and I talk about this that I think Ireland has gone. And, and the positive side of this, I think we've gone through such a change as a society that I'm so glad we're alive now and not 50 years ago. In that, I feel Ireland is such a progressive place now. There's such you know, values that did exist in the past, like cooperative values, you know, values of social justice. But then, you know, we had a state and all those problems and all the abuse and everything within families, within state, within church that we're moving towards. And I think of repeal of marriage equality, you know, of the values, even talking of mental health, the work that you've done, that Lust for Life have done, that I think we're more open as a society. We think more about things. We're more educated. There's so many reasons to be hopeful. But and I and I think for me it's about how do we keep that blowing wind of value yeah, change. That's true. That is in a, in a progressive way wind. and apply it mm. to housing. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, apply it. And I think you're right to highlight that the, that as a society that let's if you sustain this energy around um, housing people, getting away from a charity orientated look at the world, see this as social justice, see this as equality, see this as a society that will will only aid society in terms of um, uh, children attendance at school and all the, vir- this, the virtual so- components of this and uh, I, I, it's keeping that, that we, I agree, keeping that um, minimising the negative effects and and enhancing the positive effects of that yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's and, important and, to have that story go i think you're right uh, and maybe the conversation i think you're right maybe is not broadening enough to say these are the societal benefits on it about at an individual as a community as an individual family community and a societal benefit of of uh of housing individuals from a psychological point of view anyway Yes, exactly. That that's exactly it. And where I then bring that to is what it challenges is <laughs> the dominant market view and investor fund view that and developer view that oh well, you know, housing is predominantly something that people make money from and we deliver on the base we make money from it. Whereas I'm talking about something very radical, which is an actual fact. Home is so fundamental to us as human beings. We think we need to think more of it like health and education. And therefore, cooperative values, values of, you know, this the role of the state, all that needs to change around housing. So it, it is not just seen as this investment asset. And I feel the cultural revolution that's underway is, I think, a lot of young people and not so young people, a lot of people were hit by the crash as well, don't see housing as an investment anymore. They don't see themselves trying to buy one or two or three homes. They see it as I'm happy I have a secure home and I want my kids to have a secure home. And that's what our housing system should do. But Rory, is it that radical? And I ask that because in the 30s, when we didn't have a pot to piss in, right, 
we were able yeah. to invest in social housing up and down the country. Yeah. And how come we're how come so local authorities cannot or you, you, no, I don't have you have a massive understanding of this. And and I mean, even for me, I look at like NAMA and all these housing bodies. How come they can't take money in from Europe, convert that into some form of housing energy thing and build social houses? Why is that radical if we did it before? Is it not just a that's a policy issue? It is Surely a there's issue. a communication component to that. If people say, say, please don't add another 30% by putting it into a private structure that has to have a 30% markup or whatever they need. Can you not just do this like we did years ago and yeah. build the bloody things? Yeah. And, and it is a policy thing. And what's happened is that over 20 years, they essentially undermined and underinvested in local authorities to the point at which they basically built nothing for about four or five years between 2012 and 2016, like nothing. They, all the the people who build homes, the architects, the the QS people, the you know all those within local authorities were let go. Like as in they retired, they weren't replaced, and essentially we removed the capacity of local authorities to build homes. And that was a policy decision that you know wasn't just in Ireland, it was in the UK, it was in other places. That you know it's Thatcherism. So the market will provide housing. The state will provide a very small amount of housing for the very, very, very destitute and poor. And that's why we're here. And essentially, it comes back to that. And you're right to say, why couldn't the state just be building homes? It should be. But then that's the problem of investor funds is that they have such a heavy now interest in lobbying that they're coloring that and making, oh, it's not quite as easy as Rory says. It's actually, you know, the build to rent are going to provide a really good supply and we're here now and the state can't really do it the way it used to be. And we have the ideology of government to say, you know, ah, you don't really want the state to be doing all this stuff. Well, I think look, uh, then there's a political, let's say, and polit you know, let's say then there's a political component to this because if you can articulate a clear vision politically about the delivering something for society, which is called a house for yeah. a child, a for a young a kids, a, a home, for, a, for a, then if you can deliver that, you're going to get societal benefit. Yeah, it'd be interesting to look at the and uh, someone like have you, the analysis of the um uh the 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 insecure housing, the all the components of that homelessness, insecure housing, uh, and, and the impact of uh, on the, on society and the cost yeah. of that. Yeah, all the, all the social already. costs of it. All the yeah. Well, well you can done. even yeah. you can even look at the cost, the amount of money we're spending on emergency accommodation. You know, two hundred million plus a year on literally into majority private, you know, B and Bs, hostels. Like you probably heard, I don't know if you did hear that family, the mother on, on Liveline about three or four weeks ago in Wexford, who was being made homeless because the landlord was selling the property and she couldn't find anywhere else to rent. And she's gone into a and b It was horrific stuff hearing her talking about her child, um, you know, wouldn't go to school because exactly what you said, being anxious about if she came home with the home still be there you know, packing up her teddies in her bag to go like I was roaring, crying, listen to it going. And and that's kind of how I feel on some level. We don't emotionally talk enough about the human impact of that mm. crisis. Like I feel like, how are we not? But wonder, I wonder, are we engaged in finger pointing in the wrong place? Because it is societal. It, it, it is our, 
why are we spending money in the wrong place? You know, why are we not investing in, in uh, like I'm in Port Arlington now and I saw some fabulous new houses being built uh, and social housing and just incredible. And I, and I walk by and I go, I'm, I'm actually pleased for the families that have gone into them yeah. homes now yeah. because it's sort because of, to me that's what society is about actually. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, if we can move away from the, the them and us and move into a them and them and us and us, you know, yeah. and we get into a space where we're thinking this is a this benefits everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that's where we have to go to. I think that's absolutely it. That. That and it kind of was a bit of a point I was trying to make earlier that we all lose with inequality. You know, we all lose as a society. Yeah. You know, and I get but, I get that piece too. That and I tell you where you see it in a very profound way. Like as adults, like even though we're touched when we see someone in a homeless and the weather is so cold now and just in in that space. And I know we're coming into Christmas and there's homelessness is an all year round thing, but it's probably amplified around this time of year. But you'd see that in as an adult where we get touched, you can see how children are get very have huge empathy Absolutely. towards a person uh, you know that is in the more destitute place. Yeah. Massive well, like, empathy. I, absolutely. And, and and like my daughter, who's um who's uh, seven years of age, uh, you know, obviously is well aware of the conversations of what I do and all that and talks about she wants to be an architect so she can build cheaper homes um, when she grows up. And uh, but like we pass homeless people on the street and she goes to me, Daddy, why, why aren't you getting that person a home? And yeah. and I'm like, well, I, I can't. And we're trying to. And she's going, but why, Daddy? And I'm going. So I have to tell her as a society, we can't home somebody. What does that do to the child? How, how does uh, she think? She's like, you know, what's what's wrong with this society? Like that yeah. has to affect her at some level, no? I think she's on board. I'm not sure about the effects. It's like someone recently that called, like you know, over someone, you know, children were wearing masks in school and said it was child abuse. Like that's not yeah. the case. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not yeah. child abuse. So yeah. I think you know. I think it's sort of. I think the messages that you're trying to convey outweigh the negative messages. You know that yeah. sort of way that you're yeah. you're you're trying to say, listen, we're doing our best. We're advocating. We're trying to find solutions here, and uh, and you know uh, it's not good, but this is where we're at. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that. Yeah. It's, I think you mitigate against the negative effects of that. So. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting I do because. Sorry. Go on. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're already. Go ahead. No, 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 because I was actually talking to someone else because um, I've been trying to cover again, <laughs> bring the human stories out here in, in my uh, crusade <laughs> to, <laughs> to get people to listen and to try and tell the stories because, you know, it's so important, as I feel, you know, the stories aren't been told enough yeah. and not been heard enough. But uh, there was one um, one uh, Sharon, actually a renter in um, in Kerry, I had on recently telling her story of her. T- of, she's um, uh landlord. She's needs to move back into the home and she has to leave um in a couple of months but she's a teenage son who possibly i can't remember maybe he was 18 19 but she was saying the impact on him was like mom why 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 can't you sort us a home and also so on one hand she felt a failure and the other side was she felt he was disconnected from irish society because it couldn't provide him and his family a stable home and mm. i thought that was interesting but see, that's what I'm getting at. That's where I think the consequences are 
like a ripple effect that uh, it's like a pebble that you throw in a pool you've like a circle different pebble, uh, ripples but you've like very um visible imp uh, ripples around uh, you know physical impact stress sleep disturbance anxiety and then psychological impact like uh, connecting with others connecting with the family forming of relationships the impact of that but sometimes it could it can ripple out into other things like if I, if I if suddenly if i form a belief and now just so i'm just taking a hypothetical if i form a belief that society doesn't give a shit about me then yeah. i might form the opinion then that i don't give a shit about society and yeah. then i go down a pathway of of either self destruction or um or harm to others um in terms of criminal behavior or you know uh that type of uh, uh activity so but but even even what you were saying earlier about the, the i think even what she seemed to describe was a disengagement so it's yeah. like it's a loss to society again oh, that it is, young yeah. person is you know will probably do the minimal to get on rather than actually reaching out as well to society and it's not really it's also not just the individuals like often we put things around individual responsibility and individual like you know too often possibly in mental health like we talk about okay uh, it's the individual responsibility to do yeah. a b c and d but yeah. sure at a societal level we've a global pandemic you know there's massive societal based issues as yeah. well as just individual based issues yeah 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 no it's it's very true it's very true eddie i could talk to you all day <laughs> well, let's leave let's stay let's move to the hope space right because yeah. i think it's important that by conversations like this that we're maybe um i know i often think about dropping a seed that this is the type of thing i use in therapy and think about it yeah. that sometimes you you know you can drop a seed and hopefully that will grow yeah. and the seed that we're trying to drop here is that um that societal change We'll see the impact, the positive impact, the virtual, the positive impact of uh, supporting a society that supports uh, housing and ho homes for individuals and families, and that will have a ripple effect for all of us yeah. in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hope on that is um, a couple of bits of hope there. There was a, um, a psychologist from um, a clinical psychologist from St. James's, I think it was. Oh, I can't remember. Myself. But she spoke of the the positive impact of people who are homeless getting homes in terms of uh, mental health and being able to engage with services as a real positive and transformative in their lives and moving from. Um, so when people do get homes, the power of that, the ability to be able to take up services and, and continue to get support. The other hope is that um, local authorities are now actually at some level. You mentioned, you know, Portland, they're small, but they're they're building homes. And I think it's about how we expand that out now, how we really push that out, that we're starting, I feel, to get on the track. But we need to really put everything we have behind that to get there. You know, Okulon Co-Housing is a not-for-profit housing affordable provider are starting. You know, they're building a few hundred homes. It needs to be thousands. But I feel the answers are there. I even think in terms of the, the moratorium on evictions, the ban on evictions that was brought in during COVID. Remember, I don't know if you remember that. It stopped homelessness. You know, why don't we bring that back in again for a year? You know, like mm, it's, yeah. you know, the seeds are there that what we can do is there. We just need to push it on, I feel. And 
And um, Rory, I can see you setting up a housing association next. I, I've thought about it. <laughs> There's a lot out there is the thing, you know, so I feel like I'm supporting the ones that are there. Like, you know, that's kind of how I feel. Um, and but it takes a, a lot of time a, and energy. It's, um, but, you know, in, in terms of uh, quite often people say that you're carving the pie but by inflating the pie, by having another one that's not for profit and will achieve yeah. the one, maybe that's the maybe that's the mechanism for having multiple around every community in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it's definitely, um, it's definitely something I have thought about, and I do think about that. That you know, you have to show by doing as well if you can. But then we have different roles, you know, and different strengths. And mm. but uh, it's definitely something I think about. Maybe you could join me in it. <laughs> well, I tell you one thing what's really fascinating right so I worked in mental health a long time and yeah. years ago they used to you know and when the old institutional model of mental health was um, uh, people moved that were long stay patients moved into yeah. rehabilitation yeah. and then they built a sort of a house on the ground of the old institution yeah. and then they move from the rehabilitation into the house on the ground and yeah. then into a house and sometimes people this is where the, I believe this housing first model totally works where you, and it's the same with that with individuals with mental health issues into housing and to get the supports around the individual. That's the only way to go rather than this incremental model that we need to have the homes first and then put the supports into place. Otherwise we're uh, disadvantaging people and keeping them away for, from their forever home. Eddie, yeah, I lost you from when you started that story. Okay, I'll come back in there. I'll do that story again then. Yeah, great. So I've worked. So just it's what's interesting. I've worked in mental health care a long time, and when we look at whole area of um, mental health and and, and housing, uh, years ago they'd have uh, if you were long stay mental health in institutional care, you'd go into the rehabilitation ward. And then quite often you might go to a house on the grounds of the institution and eventually into a house. And it's it, it's such a, a an arse about way to do things where the housing first is get individuals into homes and then put the supports into individuals. Yeah. And this is, the, this is the model that is so important that we uh, embrace, get people into homes and uh, then put the supports into place. That's so, so critical. We can't relearn some of the mistakes that we previously made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, Eddie, uh, absolute pleasure to talk to you and I appreciate you giving the time um, and it's absolutely, yeah, yeah. It was a real fascinating conversation and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Keep up the great work, Rory. Best of luck to you and to all your work. Thank you. And uh, yeah, that's Eddie Murphy, clinical psychologist. Um, really interesting insights there. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening. As always, please share the podcast around if you can forward it, put it up on Twitter, Instagram, spread the word. Um, and also we are a podcast that is independent, completely um, uh, independent media produced by Tony Groves of Tortoise Shack Media. If you can, please support us. These podcasts cost to produce and um, go over to patreon.com forward slash 
uh, Tortoise Shack, become a supporter, sign up for three euro, four euro, whatever you can each month, you will get the podcast first before it goes out everywhere to your email and you get the podcast from across the Tortoise Shack platform as well. Please support independent media, support us to keep going, become a patron. Thank you very much and we'll talk to you all soon.